Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. Today, Jesus is still risen. Because Easter is not so much a, a season as an all of life reality. For those who have embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, He is with us always. He is living always. And the gospel is not a call to believe in God, but to know God, to walk with God. The fruit of the gospel is not having some notion that there is a God and He loves us, but to taste the love of God and experience that. So is that something that you know? Something that you live with and live by? However, last Sunday, I was also reflecting a bit on the Easter Saturday experience, thinking about the time of waiting, that time in between Christ has won the victory on the cross. He has said so in John 19, um, 38, where he says, it, it is finished. I have done it. I have accomplished. It is finished. It is all over. Between that cry and the first fruits of the new creation and the resurrection, there was that in-between time where people were still living in a hurting and in a sore world. There is a not-yet aspect to salvation. The final restoration is still to come when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, and the new heavens and the new earth are established and, and brought in. And Jesus' rising was not just a sign that that salvation was to come, but was in fact the first fruits of it. And so we live in a time when we have the first fruits, but the whole harvest is not yet here. Salvation is one, but we still live in a broken and in a hurting world. Not everything is restored and wonderful. So, on that very first Easter Saturday, the disciples were demoralized. It seemed that Jesus had been beaten. The Romans were still in charge. Their power, their nastiness had been re-emphasized with the horrors of crucifixion. The religious leaders of the time had still protected their own self-interests. There was a betrayal of a crowd who had turned and shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Judas Iscariot had money. And yet, that first Easter Saturday was one particular day. It was a day that passed. And the resurrection hope shone brightly the following day. But yet, as we read the story of these same disciples who were transformed by that resurrection experience, who were taken from being a desolate and despondent group to being a, a people who could transform the known world, as we read that story in the Acts of the Apostles and then on in the um, annals of early church history, as we read the story of the spread of the gospel, so we read that it wasn't all easy and, and downhill all the way. We see the reality of the church loving and living in a hurting and in a broken world. There is still the Easter Saturday experiences. Now, last Sunday morning, I was saying that one of the reasons for this, one of the reasons of this time in between Jesus rising and coming again, is that here is the time for people to find their way to the living God. 
Come, 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 said Isaiah in verse 1 of chapter 55. Come, now is the time of salvation. And so the followers of Jesus were sent out with that invitation, with that challenge, with that summons to find the living God, to come to know the God through Jesus. And they were sent out into a broken and despondent world, yes, with the experience of the risen and the presence of the risen Christ with them. So they were to live in a Saturday world with the reality of Easter Sunday. They were to do that as Jesus' disciples, as Jesus' representatives, or as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Jesus' ambassadors. Now, the thing about an ambassador is that an ambassador has a double identity. The ambassador has a home country from which he or she came, and there's also the country in which he or she is living. They're, in some senses, connected with both and open to the, have to be open to the, the ways and the, the customs of both. An ambassador has to be a channel, a link, a, quant, a conduit between these two countries, these two nations. In the religious community, that calling to be a, a channel, a conduit, a link between two was the role of the priests. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, at verse 9, and we had that verse read at the beginning of the service, in that verse, Peter says that all Jesus' followers are priests. They're a royal priesthood. And as priests, then, we have to represent the people before God and also to represent God before the people. Now, priests, then, are not to be two-faced, but they are to face two ways. We're faced towards God as we gather up the thoughts, the concerns, the things of the world and represent people before God, but we also have to stand facing the world with the good news of the gospel. And it's this twofold reality, which is for all of Jesus' followers, that I want to look at today and next week as well. Today, we look at that prayer in Daniel chapter 9 that Valerie read for us earlier on. We look at that as an example of what it is, what it means to be ambassadors and priests. Now, in the previous chapters of the book of Daniel, we are introduced to a man, Daniel, who was part of the exile, part of the people who were taken from Jerusalem into exile in Babylon. They were distraught. Not just was it a removal from home, it seemed a, a destruction of all that was important to them and all that their faith had taught them. They were taken from the temple, taken from the holy city, and now living in this pagan country. And here we find Daniel le learned to adapt to the new ways in Babylon. He, he fitted in and identified as best he could. But if he thought that the teaching of God was being challenged by the ways of Babylon, he was in no doubt where his primary loyalty lay. It was with God. And he obeyed God even when that meant that he was being threatened with death itself. And chapter 9 comes at a time when the people of God who are in exile 
are about to be released to go back to Jerusalem. Now, we might then expect Daniel to be happy. Here is the release of the people of God. Surely that's a good thing. Surely it's wonderful that they can now return to the promised land. But Daniel's prayer actually says otherwise. In the first three verses of chapter 9, and I do hope you've got a Bible that you can uh, look at and refer to here. In the first three verses of Daniel chapter 9, we see the stimulus for his prayer. It comes because he cares about the work of God in the world, and he brings together, and verse 2 tells us this, he brings together the promises and the teachings of Scripture with what he sees going on around him. It is what Daniel knows about the Lord, what he has read in Scripture, and what he sees in the world about him that moves him to care and concern and then to pray in the way that he does. And so a first step or a first stage in our being ambassadors for Christ or or priests for the living God is that we know and and feel the, the mismatch that there is between God's purposes and standards and where the world is. Now, that means much more than jumping to quick and superficial conclusions. And in this time of um, pandemic, there's been um, a bit too much of that going on. And I've been writing about that this week for the church magazine. But as I said, we would expect Daniel to be rejoicing. But he isn't rejoicing. He's looked hard at the world around him. He's looked hard at the Scriptures and read both, and it's left him in an unhappy place. Why? Well, as we read on into his prayer, and particularly thinking here of verses 4 to 14, and see how sad the content of the prayer is, it seems that Daniel is upset because the exile was something that God had allowed to happen to His people in order that they might learn some lessons. And the problem is, 70 years on, they're about to go back from exile, back to the promised land, and it seems, according to Daniel, especially verse 13, that they haven't learned the lessons that God had wanted them to learn. You see, Daniel's thinking, what good's it going to do if these guys go back and they're not any different. It just got us into a mess before. And if these people are unchanged, how's that going to be any better? You and I might ask a similar question for today's world. What good is it going to do if we emerge from lockdown? What good is it going to do if we find a vaccine and and get ourselves safe from COVID-19? and then just go back to living as before. You might have seen or heard or read of some people saying, oh, we mustn't go back to normal, whatever we mean by normal. And some people saying, yes, things are going to be different. Really? And more significantly, do we realize that for things to be different, we need to be different. The ways of the world are not going to change if people are left unchanged. You see, it's all too easy in best 
tabloid journalism style to, to, to point fingers, to decry this or that, to shout loudly about who is to blame, who should have done this or done that, and yet not ask ourselves basic questions about our lifestyle, our desires, our priorities. We're making a fuss, and rightly so, about folks working in care homes and saying, oh, well, they've been made as if they don't count. Well, is that not because for many folks in society, they, six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago, they didn't count? That's how people saw it. Now, Christ's ambassadors, God's priests, are called to do better than that. Called to do better than just point the finger, just shout loudly about this or that. And to do better without a sense of superiority. Did you notice how Daniel stands with his people, with the disobedient people? Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. We have turned away. Verse 6, we have not listened, and so on. Now, given what we know um, about Daniel and his story, we might well think that if anyone had justification for saying, it was these guys that mucked up, not me, then Daniel did. He'd been extraordinarily faithful. He'd been a, a, a great follower of God. His, his loyalty was unquestionable. He was even willing to sit in the lion's den and, and wait. And he said, even if, if the Lord destroys me, even if the Lord doesn't save me, I still will confess him. And yet he doesn't say, <clears throat> clearly, Lord, I've been faithful, but these other guys have let the side down, haven't they? And because of them, this is the way you are, and this is the way you feel, and this is the way you are towards us. Instead, he says, we have sinned. We have been this. We have failed you. Daniel is one of the people he knows, great as he was. Nevertheless, he's not, he wasn't perfect, and he knows that he's still someone who stands in need of the grace of God. And that's always true of, of all of us. And so we have no place for the superiority that says it's all someone else's fault. It's all someone else that needs to change. It's always someone else that needs to make the difference. Our role is to identify. Identify with the troubled and the hurting and the unjust world in which we find ourselves. Identify with that as part of the problem ourselves. And having made that identification to bring to the Lord our confession, our hurts, our soreness, our confusion, our anger, our wrestling, and so on, to bring to God all of that on behalf of a people with whom we identify, just as Daniel was doing here in this chapter. And notice, particularly verses 15 to 19, the main concern of his prayer is to do with God's reputation. He refers to the reputation or the name or the character of God six times in these verses, 15 to 19. It was the case then, and it's still the case now, that the reputation of God in the world is very much tied up with how His people live 
And how we live as priests, as ambassadors of the living God, is something that affects God's reputation and God's standing in the world. Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 17 and verse 21 says so, that the world is given permission to judge the credibility of the gospel, not just on Jesus' death and resurrection, says Jesus in that verse, but on how we are as his followers and disciples. And concern for the reputation of God is something that should be very, very much with us and dear to us. When someone is dragged through the mud by the press, not just that person, but their family, friends, all their loved ones suffer as well. When someone is publicly shamed and humiliated, not just that person, but their friends, their family, their loved ones, they feel the humiliation too. When someone is given an award and publicly rewarded and congratulated and, and held in esteem, then not just them, but also their loved ones, their family and their friends feel the joy and the, and the glory of that. Those that we love, those that we are committed to, how they're doing affects us. And so the cause of God in the world, the reputation of God in the world, will affect us if we love Him. And if we're not concerned about the mission of God in the world, if we're not concerned about whether people take the gospel seriously, if we're not concerned about whether the gospel is, is growing or shrinking, if we're not concerned about the place of the kingdom of God and the standing of the kingdom of God in our world, then it means we simply do not love God. And that is the mark of the gospel, as I said at the beginning, not that we simply believe there is a God, but that we know and love God. And we cannot know and love God without being concerned about His standing, His reputation in the world. An ambassador is concerned about who he or she represents. The priest is concerned for who he or she represents. So, we should show our commitment to the world around us, helping where we can, serving as we can. But also, we need to lament with the world around us that we are caught up in hard and tragic times, that this is not what we were created for, this is not what life should be. We follow Daniel's example in standing not only with the problems, but also with the failures of the world and expressing those to the Lord. We cannot really expect the world around us to show any remorse, to learn lessons if we do not give a lead. The world will not show remorse and learn lessons if its ambassadors and if its priests do not do that first. We cannot hope for a growth in the kingdom of God if we do not seek the kingdom first or mourn over its lack. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, He wasn't commending the miserable and the long-faced. He was saying those who see the world as it is and know that that is not God's intention, that is not God's ultimate purpose, and who stand in that gap and mourn over that gap and hurt because of that gap and bring their hearts and everything else to God, and who long for the gap to be narrowed, for the realization of the kingdom to be here, 
and for longing for that gap to be narrowed, not just for our sakes, but for the sake of the reputation of God who we love. Daniel was both well steeped in the Scriptures and in the world of which he was a part. Being a priest, being an ambassador involves both. And these ambassadors and, and priests, these are not special roles given for some of God's specially qualified people. You don't need to be ordained or have a degree in theology or have a formal qualification. All of God's people are Christ's ambassadors and God's priests. Paul in Corinthians, writing 2 Corinthians, Peter in writing his letter, were writing not to a conference of church leaders. They weren't writing to folks in, in seminaries and, and training places. They were, they were writing to local congregations. And to the local congregation folk, they were saying, you are ambassadors for Christ. You are God's holy priesthood. So live with that tension. Live with a foot in this world and a foot in the kingdom of God <clears throat> and seek to bring them together. Not with any sense of superiority, but through identifying with God and His purposes as we study the Scriptures and we, and we know Him better, and with the world as we are involved with with it and its issues and its cares. If, we, if and when we come out of lockdown and if and when we come out of the presence of this particular virus and all its devastations, if we come out of that any better, and if things are going to be different, then God's priests, Christ ambassadors, are going to have to give a lead. Are you up for it? Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to know more of your ways, your will. Help us to grasp better your ideals, your purposes in the Scriptures. Help us to see through your word more clearly who and what we are called to be. And yet give us that resolve to stand with the world in all its dislocations and all its false hopes and aspirations and to be loyal to it as we seek to bring the cares and the concerns and the priorities of our world to you, the Lord and the creator of all. Give us that spirit of humility that Daniel showed, of identifying with folks, of standing with them, of serving rather than dictating to them, rather than putting others down. And Lord, may the people of God live as ambassadors and, and priests, and so through that serving of you in our world, bring you more glory, bring you more honor. For our good, yes, but for your glory. 
Amen.